Good morning, church family. Can you hear me? Am I on? Great. Thanks, Kev and band, for serving us so well. That's superb. It's great to be back here in person. It's a privilege to come and share God's word with you this morning. And um, hello to you at home, what my nephew would call buddies of the internet, wherever you are. It's great to have you with us and listening in. Um, We're continuing our series in uh, Thessalonians this morning, Triumphs and Trials. Um, Goff spoke last week on a part of this passage, and I've got the second part of this passage. Uh, So let me read it to us. If you want to open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 to 11, I'll read it through, and we'll pray, and then we'll take off, okay? It says this, 1 Thessalonians 5. Now, brothers and sisters... About times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labour pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light, and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we're awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Amen. Lord Jesus, I pray you will be with me and help me this morning as I try in some way to convey simply the hope that we have in you the hope that we've been singing about, the living hope you are to us, Lord Jesus. I pray you'd open eyes this morning to see you clearly, to see you for who you really are. I pray you'd open hearts, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, would you break open hearts to receive your grace, your goodness this morning, I pray. Lord, we want to leave here different to how we were when we came in. In Jesus' name, amen. So those of you that tuned in last week will know Goff spoke to us about what happens after death. And when Paul addresses these questions coming from the Thessalonians about bereavement and what happens to Christians who are dead, if you haven't listened to that, please listen to it. It was superb. I found it so encouraging. Who was here last week and found God's message encouraging? It was superb. But this morning, we're going to be looking at what happens at the end of the world and what we need to do about it. So my title for this morning, if you want one, is Wake Up and Get Dressed. Jesus is coming back, isn't he? He is. He is. I don't know if actually, maybe you didn't know that, but Jesus is coming back. And that's where this passage starts. The header in my Bible is the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. And that's a phrase that you'll see repeated through Scripture, which is talking about when Jesus comes back, this appointed time. And nobody knows when it's going to be. 
Even Jesus himself said, only the Father knows. Not the Son or the angels in heaven, only the Father knows when this day we're going to be. But it's going to be a big deal. God spoke last week. It's going to be a big deal. This is Jesus coming back. This is, this is a day of judgment. This is a cosmic event. And just to highlight something Goff said last week, I don't think we'll miss it. I don't, I don't think we'll miss it. I don't think it'll be possible to miss it. But Paul tells us here it's going to be sudden and unexpected and unpredictable, like a thief in the night. We'll get no warning. When I lived in Coventry and I was a student, my next-door neighbour smashed my front door in one night when I was asleep in bed because our heating was making too much noise. I don't know if you've had any experiences like that. Pray for Coventry. Uh, has your home ever been broken into? He says it's going to be sudden and unavoidable. It's going to be inevitable, like labour pains. There's no escape. There's no escape from labour pains. I remember when Holly was in labour with Noah, and she was in labour with Noah. He was nine pound eight. He was a big boy. And she was in labour with Noah for, for days, what seemed like days. And um, there was, I don't know why she chose to drag it out as long as she did, but there we are. And there was one particular moment in the hospital with Holly where she'd had enough. And she just looked at me and she said, I've had enough, let's go home. I've had enough, let's go, let's go home. I'm done with this, let's go home. Well, me and the midwives, we laughed. But that's the point, you know, there's no escape. We don't get to choose when Jesus comes back. We don't get to decide when. But if you've been burgled, if you've, been, if you've had your home broken into, there's a response, isn't there? You don't just sit back and say, oh, well, I didn't take too much stuff. No problem. No, there's, there's a response. We take action. When our friends, Sam and Vicky, who serve us so well at the back, when they were broken into... I was the first person in the house after they'd broken into, and it was a little bit of a mess. But the next time I went round, all sorts of things had changed. They had the loudest alarm in the solar system. They had CCTV on every corner. It was like an episode of Crystal Maze or something. It's ridiculous. And now they've got a dog. And you can't get anywhere near the house without that dog getting to you. It will lick you to death. But they took action, and they made changes. And this is what Paul is getting at here. Jesus said it himself in Matthew 24. It says, If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch. He'd not let his house be broken into. Makes sense. So you also must be ready, he says, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So how do we get ready? How do we get ready? Paul, Paul says the reason why the day of the Lord would surprise us like a thief, we think about what surprises us. He says it's if you're in darkness. I was surprised by my neighbour kicking my door in because it's in darkness. I don't expect my neighbour to visit me in the middle of the night and not in that manner. But when Paul alludes to darkness, he's, he's alluding to this old Testament deal of this, this present age. The Old Testament talks about a present age, this age of, of darkness. It's, a, it's an age of evil. It represents separation, enmity with, with God, if you like. And it's where unbelievers, the Bible says, currently belong, in this age of darkness. And in the Old Testament, God's people knew there'd be this age to come. 
which would be a new age, the time of the Messiah, which we know is when Jesus came as a baby and he instigated his, his kingdom. It was, it was prophesied about. You know, in, in Isaiah, it talks about the light to come. It talks about the dawning of a new day. And Jesus is the light of the world, isn't he? And it's, it's this new day that us followers of Jesus belong to. This is what Paul is saying in Colossians 1. He says, For he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the one he loves. But this present age, this darkness, is not, it's not fully gone. It's not, it's not gone until Jesus returns. And he destroys it. It's, it says destruction will come suddenly. Jesus is going to put an end to that age. But we're living in, in the overlap, if you like, if I can call it that, the not yet. Paul puts it like this in Romans 13. And do this, understanding the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night, which is the darkness, is nearly over and the day, which is Jesus coming, is almost here. So he says, let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. If you remember Marcus and Johnny last week talking about the armour of God. This is what it's about. It's time for us to wake up. I don't know if you feel that this morning. <laughs> Those of you that may be tired, physically tired or emotionally drained. But it's, it's time for us to wake up. You see, whether we're, whether we're living in darkness or not, it depends on who we are. Whether we're ready for Christ's coming, it depends on which age we belong to. That's what Paul is saying here. Do we belong to the darkness of the present age or the light of the age to come? And for followers of Jesus, Paul tells us in verse 4, but you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. That's a wonderful phrase. Children of the light, children of the day. I love that. It reminds me of our kids, Bethany, our eldest. She is 10, and she is a child of the day. And Bethany hates sleep. For Bethany, sleep is for the weak. There's no need. There's no point. I don't know if your kids are the same. She does everything she can to stay awake. Verse 6 in here is her life verse. No need to be like others who are asleep. There's no need. Be awake. We're going to get her a t-shirt with Dylan Thomas on it. Don't go gently into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. That's Bethany. She hates going to bed. In fact, all my kids are the same in a way. I don't know if, if your kids are like my kids. When I get home from work at the end of the day and we sit down and we have a meal together and I'll generate some conversation and I might say, hey, how was your day? Who taught you today? Who did you play with at lunchtime? Who did you talk to? What happened? Don't know, don't know, can't remember, don't know, don't know, can't remember. Often. But when bedtime rolls around, that's a different matter. All of a sudden, there's a, a download of information 
that needs to be conveyed and communicated. And I'll kiss them goodnight and I'll switch the lights off. Night, guys, love you, night. Oh, daddy, oh, daddy, I just remembered this. Recollect all this stuff from the day. I need to tell you this, I need to tell you this. This happened with this friend and I learned about this today and I was wondering about this. And I've got this deep philosophical question that you need to answer before you leave the room, right? But that's what it's like, they're children of the day. They're daytime people, and Paul's encouraging us to be the same. Children don't like sleep, and they don't get drunk. And Paul's encouraging us, pursue that daytime behaviour, not nighttime behaviour. We think about what nighttime behaviour is. When Paul's talking about sleep, he's talking about spiritual sleep, not real sleep, that we all need desperately more of, right? He's talking about spiritual sleep. Let's think about what that means, being spiritually asleep, switched off, right? And indifference, morally, spiritually disengaged, carelessness maybe, laxity, living without a consciousness of the coming day of Jesus' return. Or being drunk. I don't think Paul's too concerned with how much alcohol the Thessalonians are drinking so much here in this passage. I think it's a metaphor for checking out, for letting go and, and disengaging with reality. You can be awake, but not sober, right? You think about what happens to us when we're drunk. We lose sharpness. We might lose focus. We have blurry vision. We're incoherent. We may get to the point where we're unstable, where there's an inability to function. We have lower inhibitions. We have lower standards, lower caution, poor judgment. And all of that stuff is nighttime behaviour. That's what nighttime behaviour looks like. Stumbling around in darkness. So why do we live in darkness? Why do people live in darkness? Well, Sometimes I think being asleep, spiritually asleep, can be a response, actually, to the difficulties of life, to the trials and, and the hardships and, and the stuff that life just seems to throw at us sometimes. Suffering. Because we, people can't make sense of, of the darkness around us. Our world can feel dark sometimes, can't it? You know, I was driving home the other night um, from work and there was a piece on Radio 4 about a mystery illness in children, in, in Syrian refugees who were living in Sweden. Um, and these children had been in Sweden a while, but it looked like they were going to be refused asylum and have to move on somewhere else. And their reaction, these young kids, to this news was they stopped talking, they stopped walking, and eventually they get to the point where they just stop opening their eyes at all, and they stop moving, and they end up being fed by a tube. There's brain function, but they're unresponsive. And some of them have been known to sleep like that for a year and a half. And they don't really know an awful lot about it. There's this psychosomatic coma that these kids go into. And they call it resignation syndrome. Resignation syndrome. 
There's a quote here from the expert. It says, the view commonly held among doctors treating children with resignation syndrome is that recovery depends on them feeling secure and that it's a permanent residence permit that kickstarts that process. In some way, he says, the child will have to sense that there's hope, something to live for. That's the only way I can explain why having the right to stay would, in all the cases I've seen so far, change the situation. What a picture for us. The cure is hope. These kids are woken by hope, by the promise of asylum. And spiritual sleep can sometimes just be a result of a life with no hope. Verse 6, he says, So then let us not be like others. And there he's talking about unbelievers who are asleep. But let us be awake, alert, and sober. I mean, self-controlled. How do we stay alert and self-controlled in our world with all the stuff going on, all the stuff that comes at us from the media, from the telly, from the internet? our work situations, our family, all the stuff we live with. How do we live with clarity? How do we live with focus? We need to get dressed. We need to get ready. Paul tells us here, being alert, living with clarity, means living ready for warfare. He tells us in that passage, put on the armour of light. We need armour. Look around you. We're in... We're in a battle. You don't have to look far around our world to know we're in a battle. If you don't feel like you're in a battle this morning, a spiritual battle, it might be because you're asleep. But we're in a battle. A battle of darkness versus light, right? Darkness, the work of the enemy, versus light. Jesus is the light. And us, his church. In Matthew 5, Jesus calls us the light of the world. He says we're a, we're a city on a hill that can't be hidden. But we need armour. Paul tells us, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. A breastplate protects our heart, doesn't it? The core of who we are, the thing that guides our decision-making in life. And the helmet protects our mind, which is our thinking, And that means testing the things we put in our minds against Scripture, against God's Word. And it filters through. It it filters through the darkness, through God's light, and it reveals the lies of the enemy. It protects us from the enemy doing our head in. Literally, from lies of the enemy crushing our minds. And it's not a case that we put a helmet on and, and run away. It's not helmet on and hide. It's helmet on and engage. How do we engage? With faith and love. There's a wonderful triad, faith, hope, and love that Paul goes on about all the time. It's wonderful. 1 Thessalonians, right at the beginning of our, our book, says this, we remember your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's faith in God, taking God at his word, believing what he says is true, which enables us to love 
people. Enables us to love our enemies. When we've got faith in God, we're able to love radically. We're able to be brave. We're able to take action in situations where we see that it's needed. And we've got hope in the return of Jesus. That's our hope. We're going to be with him forever. That's what our hope is built on. Salvation instead of judgment. You know, whether we're living in darkness or not, we said depends on who we are. And who we are, it depends on what God's done for us. That's it. That's it. He says here in verse 9, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we're awake or asleep, and there Paul's talking about being alive or dead, we may live together with him. We've got a sure and certain expectation of salvation because of Jesus. And it's God's initiative. It's not ours. You know, John Piper, amazing theologian, he he calls this his cancer diagnosis text. His cancer diagnosis text. He means you can be given the worst possible news in life and you still have hope. Why? Because no matter what happens, God hasn't destined you for wrath. You could describe God's wrath as his active opposition of evil, his judgment. We don't get what we deserve. It's a gift of salvation. It's God's gift of grace. If you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, the Bible says if we recognize our need for Jesus, if we recognize our need for him, if we recognize the harmful habits in our lives that the Bible calls sin, and if we can turn our back on that stuff, if we can put our trust in Jesus, what he's accomplished for us on the cross, we receive his forgiveness and he wipes the slate clean. We receive his gift of salvation. We're raised to life with him to a promised future. We live forever with him. We live forever with Jesus. And that's the goal, right? That's the goal. Jesus died for us, so we're in relationship with him, to be with him. And our hope, is, it's not an eject button so much. It's not, it's not necessarily relief from the trials and hardships of life. It's that we get to look to the Lord of the trials. That he's with us. Like Chris talked about earlier. He's with us and he walks through it. We get to rejoice in Jesus' presence in the midst of that stuff. Knowing that when he comes back, we'll be with him. In relationship with him. For eternity. And that's, that's the triumph that's our permanent residence permit, right? And that's a solid foundation to live on. Hope in who Jesus is. We can engage with the darkness in our world with boldness because of who God is. The King Jesus who's coming back is the same Jesus Christ who died for us and rose again. If the band want to come back up, let me try and land this for us. 
Paul finishes this passage. It's only a short bit, but it's so important. He says, therefore, which means, you know, based on everything I've said so far, therefore, encourage one another. Carry on encouraging one another, helping, edifying, building up, caring for, comforting, becoming this community of support. And it's the same for us. That's our message this morning. We're not designed to do this on our own. We're not designed to do life on our own as followers of Jesus. We need each other. We need each other. And, and never so like now, right? In the midst of COVID and all the difficulty that comes with that and the, and the madness going on in our world at the moment, we need each other. We, we need to support each other. There's a great... There's a, there's a difficulty, actually, with COVID and what it represents. There's differences of opinion and people are handling it in different ways. And there's a real... Um, there's a possibility of division there if we let it. It could be divisive. It's, it's, it's potentially divisive, the situation we're in. And we need to pull together. We need to pull together. So as we, as we break bread in a moment, Goff's going to come and lead us through. Maybe as we remember what Jesus has done, maybe we could gather in groups and just pray. Maybe find some people you trust who you feel you can be honest with about maybe some of the stuff you're struggling with, and we can encourage each other. And not only that, we can encourage gifts in each other. We can identify the light that you see in others, and we can say to people, hey, I love this about you. I love the way you serve God in this way. I see this gift in you, and I'd love to see it used more. We stimulate good gifts in each other, and we can build one another up in Jesus' name. Can we do that as we move on? Go off.